Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There's a million and one conspiracy theories among Christians, and everybody's freaked out. Everybody's panicking. Everybody's like, what are we going to do? We don't know what we're going to do. We got to do this, and we got to do that. And I think the Lord would say the same thing to us that he said to Isaiah. Don't fear that. Fear me. Don't worry about that stuff. Well, there's some stuff that's just absolutely out of our control. I can't change it. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 7 through 12. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And you can just sit up there and just get this amazing picture of what it would have been like during the time of Jesus. But the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, a great light. So this is the prophecy. You've enlarged the nation, increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time. So talking about the the future blessing that's going to come. And verse 4, you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of the oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian, just when God overthrew the Midianites back in the time of Gideon, And every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So here's the great prophecy. Now, remember the the previous prophecy. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given. Undoubtedly, this is connected. This is right. Uh, This is the ongoing prophecy of Isaiah. So it starts in what we know as chapter 7, verse 14, but it carries on right here into more detail about the son. Remember, he's to be called Emmanuel. And what does it say here? He's to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So it's just an elaboration. It's just more detail that's given to what was previously stated there in the seventh chapter. Now, my friend um, Ray Ortland he said this, and I thought this was just a great little thing to think about, speaking about the Lord as the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Ray said this, he said, he said, look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. He has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let us enjoy him. And as the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we were still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. I thought those were great little things to just put together there around these 
statements. So these are verses that I think most of us are familiar with. But you know, if you don't have yet these prophecies underlined in your Bible, underline them and highlight them and memorize them because they are just so wonderful. And they're wonderful to meditate on. But you know, they're also, they're great tools to share with people when you get opportunities to talk to them about the Lord. Because they're very, you know, they're very descriptive of who Jesus is. He's the the child that was born. He's the son that was given. And then he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But one thing I want us to just see is notice the context is these massive forces, these, these powerful armies that are just wrecking havoc everywhere. The, uh, you know, uh, the Syrians and the, and the Israelites combined together. And then the Assyrians coming to crush and destroy and take authority over. This is the context of all of this. And what is God going to do? Well, he's going to send a child. I think that's amazing. The child. How is God going to defeat all of this? How is he going to secure the victory for Israel? A child is going to be born. But the child that is born is the son that is given. And the son, of course, is none other than God's son. And that's why he is the wonderful counselor. And, you know, in the, in the context here, because he goes on, the dominion will be vast. Or the other translation, the older translation, is the, of the increase of, of his government and his kingdom, there will be no end. So the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So we see the context of this is his worldwide dominion. So even though we can take personal comfort and consolation in the fact that he is the wonderful counselor, meaning that we can go to Jesus and he will give us counsel. He will speak to us. He will show us how to overcome problems and difficulties, and he'll give us wisdom on how to navigate life and, and all of that. So, but, but the bigger context is he's going to do that for the nations. That's the context of it here. The mighty God, the bigger context, we can have confidence in him as the mighty God, but the bigger context is this word here, the Hebrew word speaks of God as a warrior. So the Hebrew is two words, El Gibor. And you have different, you know, you have El Shaddai, which means God as the provider. And you have a number of different combinations, the, the title God, and then you have other things attached to that. And so here, the picture is of God as a warrior. So he's a mighty warrior, meaning again, that he will defeat every foe. And then he's the eternal father. He's the, the one who is over all of the ages is the idea there. It doesn't mean he's 
God the Father, he's God the Son. It means he's over all of the ages, and then he's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that is the embodiment of peace, and because of who he is, that peace will fill the earth. And this is the great promise that everyone is waiting for, but nobody knows it. Everybody's hoping for it, wondering if it's going to come about. Some people are striving to try to make it happen the way they think it it's going to happen. But this is what he's going to do. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, come and bring that kingdom. That kingdom has already come partially. And we get to experience it personally by receiving him as the king. But one day, it's all going to be manifest to the whole world. So now, going on in the rest of the ninth chapter, the, the Lord sent a message against Jacob. It came against Israel. So the rest of the chapter deals with the judgment that God is going to bring on the people again because of their rebellion. And the same phrase is repeated over that even though he struck them, even though he disciplined them, they did not turn away from their sin. They continued in their wickedness. And that's kind of the refrain, refrain uh, throughout the remainder of the chapter. And as we come to chapter 10, he then is pronouncing judgments as well, but he's going to transition from the judgment that's coming upon Ephraim and Damascus and he's going to focus on the judgment that will come on Assyria. And so just really quickly, chapter 10, woe to those enacting crooked statutes and writing oppressive laws to keep the poor from getting a fair trial and to deprive the needy among my people of justice so that widows can be their spoil and they can plunder the fatherless. Well, this has not changed at all. This happens all the time. It happens in our nation as well. But God was going to deal with them for that. And then verse 5, he says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my wrath, and I will send against him a godless nation. I will command him to go against the people destined for my rage to take the spoils. And then down to verse 12, is talking about the, the various nations that Assyria conquered. But then verse 12 says, but when the Lord finishes all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for his arrogant acts and the proud look in his eye. For he said, I have done this by my own strength and my wisdom, for I am clever. I abolished the borders of nations and plundered their treasures. Like a mighty warrior, I subjugated the inhabitants. And God's word to Assyria is, you only did that because I enabled you to do it. I used you as my instrument of judgment. But then God's going to pronounce a judgment on them because of their pride and because of their recognition and because of their merciless treatment of Israel. So that's what that portion is dealing with down there through verse 19, 
But then on, in verse 20, it says, on that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no longer depend on the one who struck them, but they will faithfully depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So remember, we talked about how there's like judgment pronounced, and then God talks about the blessing that will come. He's going to deal with them, but then he's going to turn around and he is going to ultimately bless them. And so he goes on and he talks about that, that judgment, that blessing, the judgment of Assyria, the blessing of Israel. But then, and this is where we're going to get to here, then we come to chapter 11. And so he's going to take, he's already promised he's going to take care of Damascus, he's going to take care of Samaria. He's going to take care of the Assyrians. And now, once again, the prophet projects out to the future Emmanuel, the child that is born, the son that is given, here in chapter 11, he projects out to the future of the reign and he describes with some detail what the reign of the Messiah will look like. And so chapter 11 is a great chapter. It's a chapter that describes what we call the millennial kingdom. It describes the world, how it's going to be when Jesus returns to set up the kingdom. So look what it says. It says, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Remember at the very end of the sixth chapter, when Isaiah said to the Lord, God said, you know, go prophesy, tell them to hear, but they won't hear, see, but they won't see, their hearts are dull, so forth. And Isaiah says, how long is that going to be? And God says it's going to be till everything's basically just wiped out. Everything's going to be desolate. And all that will be left is a stump. That's what Israel will look like. It'll just look like a stump in the ground. What is this stump? Oh, one time it was an amazing tree. You should have seen it in its glory. Are you kidding? It's just a stump. That's what it's going to be like. But then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed in the land. So there's going to be this seemingly insignificant thing that's going to come up out of this stump of Jesse that just seems like it's so... It's interesting that Isaiah doesn't even use the term David or the word, the name David. He uses Jesse. David was very significant and well-known and prominent as, as the king. Jesse is the unknown father of David. So it's almost like the obscurity at the time is going to be as obscure as Jesse would be. And yet out of this obscure place and out of this little shoot, a branch from its roots will bear fruit. Now, when it says, it's speaking of, of the Lord, of course, when it says that he will not judge by the seeing of his eyes or execute justice by the hearing of his ears, the point is that he's going to, you know, we can 
see something and not get it right. We can hear something and not get it right. Point is, he's going to get it right. He, it's not going to be subject to, oh, I didn't hear that properly, or I guess I didn't see it the way it was. Everything is going to be absolutely right. He's going to judge the poor righteously. He's going to execute judgment for the oppressed in the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command of his lips. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips, faithfulness the belt around his waist. And now listen to this. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. Isn't that beautiful? That is what God has planned for the future. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. Isn't that something? The lion will eat straw like cattle. I remember... Years ago, hearing some mocker <laughs> talk about how ridiculous that is. You know, the lion is a carnivore and lions are not going to eat straw and so on, you know. And I saw this documentary on these lions that were vegetarians. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't even connected to... The other day, I just remember reading, you know, these critics and some of the stuff they said. And then I saw this vegetarian about these, these, these lions that were literally vegetarians. You couldn't get them to eat meat for anything. And they put a big old slab of, what, you know, an antelope or something in front of them. And they just, you know, look at it and like, and then you give them a bowl of oats and they just would scarf it down. You know, and it was, you know, it was one of those things. I mean, it was an, an anomaly, right? I mean, but they were saying, wow, you know, how is it? And I just thought at the time, it's like, well, it's just a little foretaste of what's going to be happening in the future. The lion is going to eat straw like cattle. And an infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into the snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other, on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. I love that. And on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. Oh. You know, when I just get too overwhelmed with the insanity of our world, I just go to Isaiah 11 and I just read it. And I, then I turn to Isaiah 35 because it's a similar passage. And then there's another one at the end of Isaiah, chapter 65. And it's like, Lord, this is where we're headed. This is the future. This is the truth. And what a wonderful thing. And, you know, for us, let's just remember this just as certain as all of those other prophecies about Jesus that had to do with his first coming, just as certain as those were fulfilled, and they were fulfilled to the T, smallest detail, these are going to be fulfilled. Jesus himself is the proof to us that this is the real future. 
because he came in fulfillment of prophecy and he fulfilled prophecy to the smallest detail. And so we can look back and we've all put our faith in Christ who came into the world and lived and died on the cross and rose from the dead. And we believe all of that, right? I mean, I hope we believe it. I believe it. We believe it, right? So we believe that and we believe this too. This is the future. And I think of, you know, even what the Lord said to Isaiah, don't listen to the conspiracies. Don't buy into what they're saying. Don't be afraid of that. Because Christians fall prey to that today. You know, all you got to do is go on Facebook. There's a million and one conspiracy theories among Christians. And everybody's freaked out. Everybody's panicking. Everybody's like, what are we going to do? We don't know what we're going to do. We got to do this and we got to do that. And I think the Lord would say the same thing to us that he said to Isaiah. Don't fear that. Fear me. Don't worry about that stuff. There's some stuff that's just absolutely out of our control. I can't change it. It has the potential to, to cause me to fear. And once you get afraid, then you start acting irrationally. And we don't want to do that. We want to trust God. And we know the end of the story. This is it. We're reading it. This is what it's going to be. The root of Jesse is going to stand as a banner for the people. And the nations will look to him for guidance. And I love this. His resting place will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, the coast and the islands of the west, and all of this wonderful restoration that God is going to bring as he brings his people back. This will be the, the bringing back of the people. You know, the one God brought them out of Egypt. And now it says here when he says he will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them back from Babylon. And this is the time now he will bring them back permanently from all these places to settle forever in the land. And look at verse 16. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will survive from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And so on that day, you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his name, make his works known among the peoples, declare that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things, let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizens of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. So that is the song that they will be singing in Zion when all of this is fulfilled. And it's the song that we can sing today because on a personal level, we have experienced that salvation. We have drawn from the wells of salvation and been satiated by them. Thank God for that. 
July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Jesus History? by Dr. John Dixon. Living in an age of science and empirical evidence, how can people still believe in miracles? How can someone believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus is essential for the Christian faith. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then an offer for eternal life does not carry any authority. So, is there any historical evidence that can be examined to test the authenticity of such a claim? Dr. John Dixon addresses this very question and examines the ancient evidence as a trained historian. He explains the evidence simply and clearly, so you'll be able to consider the evidence for yourself. If you've ever wondered if there's any historical evidence for the existence of Jesus and His resurrection, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. It's our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.